Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor. And this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana over the past week. And we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers as well as answer any questions that students have posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So first topic of the class today is from a student who sent me an email. She had just done the math boot camp and she was sharing with me that equations just stress her out and she just wanted some additional tips. So with math, I would say a good 80% of my students, they tell me math, I just, I see it and I stress out. So if this is what you're feeling, you are not alone. And a big thing to remember with the math equations is one of the biggest mistakes that we can make is trying to memorize everything. If you memorize inventory turnover ratio, but you can't recognize that we're using inventory turnover ratio, or you can't recognize the components that you don't need for inventory turnover ratio, or you can't tell me how it would be helpful, or if I have an inventory turnover ratio of 13, what that means, you're not really benefiting from having, quote, reviewed the equations if it was just a memorization. So that's why, too, when I teach the equations, which you guys can always get in my math boot camp that covers the basics and the more advanced, that's why I you'll hear me stress time and time and again, you want to be going for comprehension, trying to kind of be a little bit more familiar with the equations. You don't need to know everything, but just working to be a little bit more familiar is going to just help you to feel more comfortable and not really to stress out with them as much because if you're hitting the questions and you're feeling super stressed, you're not going to be able to answer them. And a lot of the equations too are what I call like regular math of there's not like a special equation, it's algebra or doing a proportion too. So you want to keep that in mind too. Sometimes there's not an equation to memorize. So if you're looking at, if you're looking at the question, you're like, I can't think of an equation, but you're like, okay, well, what information does it give me? You know, and kind of thinking, what do you have? What are your units there? What are the components? And think about what is the question asking you? Kind of what's your point B? What are the units there? And trying to kind of say, look at where I'm starting and trying to get to the end and what's my path forward to. And remembering that a lot of the math questions are also situational. So that's why it's great to take the math boot camp class. Um, you can get that as the math boot camp or just the practice questions by itself if you just want practice questions. Also, searching the Facebook page for practice questions is really, really great too. And the situational course will cover a lot of pra- situational math practice. And then, you know, on the Facebook Lives or if you're listening to the podcast, we also cover a lot of them on here too. So just getting as much practice as you can just to make sure you're feeling comfortable. But again, you do not need to be a math expert. But if you are at the point with your math where you're like, I see the math and I freeze, that's when you want to pause. And again, doing a class on it is great. Doing a one-on-one session on it can really be helpful too if you're feeling super duper stuck. So that's my two cents on the math. And, you know, we talk about that every single week. But, again, I want you guys to feel more comfortable. 
So the next question we have is from a student who says, when doing tube feed questions on the exam, do we, they provide a formula sheet or do we really have to remember the patient information for one formula? So I'm glad that this student asked because this is something too where there's so much false information on the exam and you're already stressed out, right, about the math, you're stressed about time, you're stressed about 10 other things. You want to ask questions like this to me because I don't want you to stress out about big information. So for the tube feeds, they are always going to tell you the concentration as well as the amount of protein in it. And by concentration, I mean, is it a 1.2 calorie per milliliter? Is it a 1 calorie per milliliter? Or protein, how many grams per liter it is of protein? What they will not tell you is they will not tell you the concentration of free water. So for the exam, you need to know these three. You need to know one calorie per milliliter, 1.2 calories per milliliter, and 1.5 calories per milliliter. And with those, there's ranges on each of them. But what I like to think about is kind of, you know, some easy numbers to remember because, again, there's so much in my head that I need information I can pull from and kind of jump off of and just start getting the question going. So what I like to think is 1.5 is 75. Rhymes, we love that. So 1.5 calories per milliliter has about 75% water. Again, specific formulas will range. If you take any of my nutrition support classes, I give you a formula sheet so you can kind of look at it, and that's why you might be like, wait, this one is 79, you know, and this one's, you know, 73. So there, you will not need to know the very specifics on Jebedee is what I'm saying too. So if you know 1.5 is 75 and you think that the others are, you know, kind of plus five minus five, if you're getting a question and saying this formula is gonna be 1.0 calories per milliliter, what you're gonna be able to say is, okay, I know 1.5 is about 75% free water. So a one, a one calorie per milliliter would have more water. So one calorie per milliliter is going to be about 80% free water, again, ranges, and a two calorie per milliliter is going to be about 70% water too. And this student is on the live and she had a follow-up question of, and you only need to know free H2O when determining the flushes. So great question. So with the flushes in free water, there's a few ways they can ask about the question. So they might say, you know, and let's get the calculator out to do some math on it. So we'll just do easy numbers just to make everything easy. So let's say they say, okay, this patient, they're getting a 1.0 calorie per milliliter formula and they're getting, you know, one liter. How much free water is that? Well, we would do one times, right, a thousand milliliters because we know it's one calorie per milliliter. So we can do that math. So we're saying this patient is getting a thousand milliliters of this formula. To answer the question of, well, how much free water is this? We want to go back to my, okay, 1.5 is 75. Okay, and so above that would be our 1.0. And so that's about 80% water. So we do 1,000 times 0.8, and we say, okay, they're getting 800 milliliters of free water just from the formula, right? Because the formula isn't just all 
you know, the nutrition, the formula has a lot of water in it. So that's kind of the first question they could be asking of like, how much water is just in this formula? They could also ask you to calculate the flushes. And we'll stick with this patient example too, just to keep it easy. So let's just say we're doing one calorie per milliliter for this patient for fluid need. I mean, sorry, one calorie per, yeah, one calorie per milliliter for this patient because we're saying for every calorie I give, I want to give one milliliter of water, which is a really common one we use. We would say this patient needs a thousand milliliters of water. And then our question is, well, what's the fluid deficit? So the point of the flush is beyond, you know, keep the tube clean is to also give hydration. So we're giving kind of the deficit that the patient's needing. They need 1,000 milliliters. We're giving them 800. So our fluid deficit is 200. Again, we take needs minus what the tube feed formula is giving. And so we're saying there's 200 milliliters of fluid deficit. So that's what we would parse out for our flushes. And on the exam, they might tell you, they might say, you know, that situation and, you know, how much do they need in flushes? And you might have to kind of calculate A, B, C, D up and say, well, which one is 200 milliliters the closest to what we need? If it's asking you to calculate, well, what could the flushes look like for your practice kind of dealer's choice? I like to give six flushes per day for my patients. So I do 200 divided by six, and that would give me 33.3. Again, remember, we're not just like our rates. We're not going to tell a nurse this. So we could round to 35 on this one, make it nice, nice and clean too. So again, you want to be thinking about, well, what types of questions could they be asking you to do? So main ones would be them asking about, well, how much free water does this formula give? And sometimes they might give it to you with the formula and the flushes or just the formula alone or calculating fluid needs. So really, 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 really great question on there too. Always happy to answer your questions. Okay, next question we have is from another student. I love when you guys ask questions because I also get to kind of see like, where are people stuck? So this student said she's working on Inman Domain 2 practice questions and she came across the following question. What can be done to lower the respiratory quotient of a tube-fed pulmonary patient. So answer choices were add MCT oil to decrease energy required for growth, B, change the type of fat to improve the oxygen out, um, the oxygen exchange, C, adding carbohydrate to decrease the respiratory quotient, and then add a fat emulsion to replace some of the carbohydrate, which was the correct answer. So with this question, the first thing I want to be thinking about is, okay, well, what is respiratory quotient? Sometimes you say this as RQ. So this is a number we will you will get from doing an indirect calorimetry machine. And this week I posted like a time-lapse video of me running and in, well, not running on it because I couldn't have a patient in the room, but me setting up the indirect calorimetry machine that I use at the hospital. And respiratory quotient is one of the metrics that we get from that. So respiratory quotient is telling you kind of what is the main source of fuel with your body. For our patients, what that number is telling us can also be, are we overfeeding the patient? So respiratory quotient, we really don't use too much on the outpatient side. This is more of an 
ICU metric. So if I put the patient in the machine, I can use the RQ to kind of tell, am I overfeeding my patient? Because overfeeding would cause you to have a high RQ. So overfeeding would be a RQ of one, which saying you're burning mostly excessive carbohydrates. The next one under that is our desirable one. So we want our patients to have a 0.85, which is mixed. Mixed, right, because we want them using a lot of different sources. Then we have a 0.82, which would be protein. And then fat would be 0.7. So kind of thinking about that and then going back and going, okay, well, what can be done to lower the respiratory quotient? So if you're familiar with this topic, and again, if you're reading this question as you're doing it, you're like, what? That's when you pause and kind of use Google. You guys know I love Google. Look back in your notes. Ask the question on the Facebook page. Kind of make sure you're understanding, well, what is respiratory quotient? So we're saying we want to get, we want to decrease that number. And we said things that would increase it, right, is overfeeding my patient. So right away, I'm looking for the one where we're going to add more fats. So... The best one would be to add a fat emulsion to replace some of the carbohydrates because that's going to cause you to rely more on fat and decrease the reliance on the carbs. And we know for a respiratory patient, we can give them a higher fat diet to help decrease the amount of CO2 that they're producing from running their carbs through, through the Krebs cycle. So definitely a great question there. Next one I put up was inspired by us doing our live vitamins and mineral class last week. And so here I said, what disease states may require iron supplementation? Because remember, the best, best way to study the vitamins and minerals is to link them back to disease states. So you guys put some awesome answers. Some of them are, we're in stage renal disease, pregnancy, absolutely, um, Celiac disease is another big one. Anemia, especially right when it's that microcytic from iron. And remember, we measure ferritin for iron too. So lots of lots of great answers in here too. So again, as you're going through your vitamin minerals, kind of thinking about what you know what you would do to be on the lookout for. Who are you at risk? Who's at risk of deficiencies? Next question was with my video of me setting up my indirect calorimetry machine. And I said, what is the difference between direct and indirect calorimetry? Because when I was running it on one of my patients last week, they were like so curious. They asked me so many questions, um, which I love too. Um, but I was like, oh, you know, this would be a great question for the students. So their question was there, I was telling them, okay, this is the indirect calorimetry machine. I give them my whole spiel. And then they were asking, you know, well, why can't I do direct? Can I do direct? And so the difference is with the indirect calorimetry machine, you're met kind of putting like a little hood over your head. Definitely Google a picture if nothing's coming to mind. And I'm measuring how much CO2 you are breathing out and oxygen you're breathing in. And you're just kind of laying on the bed, resting, and it's like, you know, between 20 minutes and an hour. I run it on my patients for 20 minutes. So it's not a completely closed system there. And so what you're thinking for direct is the whole room 
the whole room is like the like experiment. So if I was doing direct calorimetry, and let's pretend we could turn my office into, you know, an indirect calorimetry machine, they're measuring every little sip of, of oxygen and every, you know, exhalation of CO2 throughout the whole time period. So you can, instead of getting a resting metabolic rate measure, you can get your actual metabolic rate for me doing all my stuff. So a lot of these times, and again, Google direct calorimetry room if you haven't seen one before. I've never seen one in real life, just in pictures. But like oftentimes they'll have like a bed, you know, uh, like exercise machine, all sorts of different things like that. They do them a lot for like NASA programs and things because they need to know well, how much food are they putting up um, into space. And I was telling my patient all that and he was like, whoa, that." That's crazy. Um, and off the video, one of the students was saying, you know, like, where do we use the indirect calorimetry machines? Typically, hospitals will use them in their ICU. Like we talked about, like we talked about with the RQ before, you're usually using it to, you know, not only see if you're overfeeding your patients, but especially when your patients have like 10 different things and you're like, okay, well, they had just got major abdominal surgery. They have five gunshot wounds. They broke their leg. What equation do you use that's accurate? So indirect calorimetry is really, really helpful on our patients that equations aren't going to work as well because they just have so many issues. So it's really great to use on that because when they're on nutrition support, you can give them their exact needs. Versus where I use it is we use it in the research setting um, our we can different research studies at the hospital can use it. Um, so I'll have doctors refer the patients to me and then I'll run the machine and give the results back to the doctor. So a lot of the doctors who are referring are from like weight management or endocrinology where these patients are not losing weight and they want to kind of see where their metabolic rates are. Um, so we measure it and then we also compare it to Mifflin St. George. So it's always interesting because, um, because the range is so, you know, wide. So I have some patients who will come at 64% of the Mifflin St. George and some who will get to 90%. So just an interesting thing. Next question um, for me, from me, is saying, what is intrinsic factors? Because we want to make sure, especially if you're having trouble with saying for the exam, a lot of time it is because we just don't know what things are. We're not familiar with the vocab. We're so busy at memorizing that we're not kind of stopping to think and say, what is this topic? And if you've taken any of my classes, you will quickly, quickly learn that one of the big things, you know, I focus on is making sure you understand the why. So the intrinsic factor is not like an enzyme or anything. What it is is it's a type of protein that's going to bind to the B12 and make it available for the absorption. So the B12, remember, isn't digesting, um, isn't being digested by the intrinsic factor. What you want to kind of think is that the B12 is locked inside the protein and the intrinsic factor binds with everything to make that B12 in the protein available for absorption. There too. So again, when you're getting questions, sometimes they just ask you kind of flat out, like, what is this? And you want to make sure that you know. Okay. And our last one of the class is a pricing question. 
this week, a lot of people have been getting stuck on the pricing question. So definitely make sure that you are reviewing this. Um, so here's a question. A food service has a 22% labor cost, 23% fixed cost, and a desired profit of 18%. Given a raw food cost of $6.55, what would the selling price be? So the first thing I need to be thinking about with this is, well, what pricing equation is this? Like we talked to the very first question, so we're having nice bookended math. We want to be thinking about what is it asking and what do I know about it so I can kind of plan how to get to A to B. So this is saying what is the selling price. So right away I should be thinking, okay, I have three options. Prime, traditional slash factor, they're the same, and cost plus. And if you've taken my math class, you're going to hear me say, okay, when I have all these percentages plus just raw food costs, I want to cost plus plus everything together. So we, with this one, we do not have food cost percentage. Remember, factor slash traditional will always give you food cost percentage. This one will give you everything but that. So what we want to do is cost plus, add up our percentages, 22 plus 23 plus 18, and that's 63%. So we subtract 100, right, minus 63, and we say, okay, well, I have 37, I have 37% left for my food cost percentage. So to finish this, I take my raw food cost, 655, divided by my 0.7, I mean, my 0.37, my 37%, and that tells me that I should sell this at $17.70. So a great one to practice your price, your pricing on. Because again, remember, if you are looking at the math and you're like, nothing is coming to mind, you're likely studying in a very stressed state. So kind of being open to the math, practicing the math, going back and looking at past podcast episodes from the Facebook Live that have math questions in them, which honestly is the majority of them, is a really, really great way because you just want to be become comfortable with the math. And the first step of that is recognizing, too, if you need some extra help with the math, that is not uncommon, and that a lot of time can kind of really soothe your fears. Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana RD, every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, danajfnutrition.com, to find out about the latest classes as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.